experience in my life doesn't always match up with what I think to be true about God and then I just get worn out because I think God should be one way and I think that his promises say one thing and then I just get worn out because those two things don't match up what I want in life, what I expect in life and what I think life should be like and it just doesn't match up with what is happening in my life. And um, it's such a, a testament to the fact that God never promises that the Christian life would be easy, but he promises that you would have trial, but he also promises that it will be a process. It will be a process. It will be a process. And that when you get worn out, your prayer becomes, God, let me see redemption win in my life. And he says, look at my son, redemption has one in your life, but it's a process, and it will be a process for the rest of our lives. Let me pray. God, just thank you um, for who you are. Thank you that we can believe and have faith in who you are. Sometimes we won't always understand what you're doing or how you're bringing us to a specific place in our lives, but God, you, um, you have given your son Jesus to make us new to create us new, God. And so we don't have to understand everything that you do. God, but we want to come before you now. Wherever our hearts are this morning, we want to understand that you love us no matter what, and that you want to meet us in this place, that you want to meet us here in the situation that we are in. And you reach down as Jesus become a man to identify with us, to identify with our weakness, God. We love that. And we love you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, man, this is awesome, isn't it? That's awesome. Everybody go, go ahead and give a round of applause to Mike and Chris and everyone else who helped with that. Um, that would not be the result if I did that. Uh, from really far away, that actually looks like a waterfall, like real water. That's a good job, guys. So, VBS is tonight, okay? You can still register your kids right out there. Um, it starts tonight at 6.30, so be here. We got a lot of helpers, a lot of people being involved. It's a good thing to be a part of. So I just came back, back from vacation. Like, uh, that, y'all call it vacation here. Um, but I looked it up in the dictionary, and that is not what I experienced this last week. It was more like relocation, it was like chaos relocation, right? So if you have kids, you understand this. You go on vacation. It is not restful. Okay, that says that in the dictionary. Okay, it may have been a break uh, in my own mind from my everyday work here. 
uh, but it was not restful. It was exhausting beyond my wildest imagination. Um, and it was uh, my kids, they're still the same on vacation as they are at home. Um, so it was just, we just took the chaos that happens here every day and we moved it to Ohio and we had an awesome week. And in the process, I got sick. So if I sound a little deeper this morning, you're all like, finally, puberty had its effect on you. Yo, I should lead worship on the mornings that I'm sick so that I sing in your, in your range uh, and not too high. Um, if you take out your Bibles, there's maybe Pew Bibles, get your iPad, your phone out, uh, turn to Mark chapter 7. Um, if you have not yet listened to Tim's message online, if you weren't here, I wasn't here, so I went on, I was looking all day Sunday, and finally Sunday night, Mike had put it on, and I listened to it. If you have not listened to it, that was part one to this message, okay? You'll still, you'll still get this, um, but if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it, because it, it was an amazing uh, a message last week, and you need to listen to that, but you'll get the point uh, from this week. I want to read Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14. This is, in the, in the NIV, it's just one continual portion from what, what uh, Tim did last week. In the ESV, it breaks it up into a new, uh, into a new portion. So let's read in, in verse 14, all the way to verse 23. It says, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his, into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of the man's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. And so our... Uh, our sermon title for this week is going to be Self-Check, okay? And as we go through this, uh, the temptation is going to either be to hear the list that I just read or to hear this uh, sermon and start thinking, whew, I'm glad my husband's here to hear this. I'm glad my wife's here to hear this. Or think about someone else in the crowd that needs to hear the message. Or I wish that so-and-so was here to hear this because they need it in their lives, Okay? That's not the idea this morning. The idea is, did anybody, raise your hand if in college you had spelling tests. Nobody. I did. You go to Emmaus Bible College and you'll have a spelling test. I thought, when I saw that on the, on the uh, syllabus, I was like, this is like throwback to eighth grade. We get to have spelling tests. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? This is going to be awesome. Like, who do, this is going to be sweet. So I didn't study for it. The first week I show up, spelling test. Boom, right away. First word, disestablishmentarianism. I was like, what are you? This is nuts. Like, nobody knows how to spell it. The president doesn't know how to spell that word. All right? 
And so I got that one wrong. And then the next word was dessert. And I put desert, right? Like, I just can't spell. And you're all like, if you've seen my emails to the church, you know that's right, all right? So, and then, and then, and then the next word was like, but. And he used it in a sentence. And I wrote B-U-T-T. And it was supposed to be B-U-T. Like, so in college, I got A's in most of my classes, a few B's. And then in this one class, I got a C. And I look back, why did I get a C? Oh, right, spelling tests. Like, that was just the thorn in my side through all of college. I had, like, repeat spelling tests. Okay, but now my phone, my iPad, and my computer, everything that I could possibly type something up on has a spell check, right? But, like, sometimes I'm sending a text on my phone, and it, it, I just assume that it's going to correct the word if it's wrong. And then it puts something derogatory in there, and I send it out to, like, um, somebody that I should not be saying derogatory things to, and I check it later, and I'm like, what? Oh, my goodness, this is horrible. I, didn't, I need to apologize for that. Um, God forbid that ever happens in an email to the church, and I'm sure it has. Well, I know it has before because y'all have emailed me back on it. You better spell check. But most of the time, you can go back into your document and look for that little dotted red line, right? And so you write this whole thing out. You go back and you look for the dotted red line, and it tells you where you've made a mistake. It tells you this is what you need to fix. You click on it, and it gives you this fancy list of all these choices that you can replace that word with, right? If only uh, my life was like that. And so this morning, based on what Tim talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week, I want you to reach down inside, and this has been awesome for me, preparing this message, to look at my own life and do a self-check. So no saying to your wife, to your husband, you better listen to this, or no saying, I hope so-and-so is listening. Get inside yourself and do a self-check this morning. I grew up. In, in the church, going to church my whole life, and I lived the Christian life based on what other people expected of me. I was a thriving young Christian. I mean, I did everything because the Reed family had a reputation to uphold, right? So I better not destroy that reputation. So I, did, I went to church, I went to youth group, I was a leader in my youth group, I did a lot of things uh, just because I thought, man, people are encouraging me, people are saying you're going to do great things, people are saying you should do this, you should do that, you're gifted in this area, you're gifted in that area, do this, do that, and I thrived because people fed into me in that way. But my Christian life was solely based on what other people thought it should be. What other people thought my Christian life should look like. And my parents didn't raise me to live the Christian life that way. I put a lot of those expectations on myself because I liked the attention. I liked the spotlight. And um, so I lived that way. But two and a half years ago, you've heard a lot about this story when I asked for a month off because my life had gotten to a place where it was just unmanageable. Where I felt like, no, my, my, my Christian life is not what I want it to be like. What I believe about God is not matching up with where my life is going. 
and my kids are suffering for it, I'm suffering for it, my wife's suffering for it, my marriage is suffering for it, my church is suffering for it, all the people around me are suffering for it, and I was in a bad place. Why? Why did I get to that place? Because I had lived my entire Christian life thriving on what other people, not other people outside the church, but other people who were Jesus followers in the church telling me, Man, this is, this, is, this is awesome. You're so awesome. This is what you need to do. And so two years ago, I would come to church, and I would lead worship on a Sunday morning. And if y'all sang good, okay, which sometimes you did, sometimes you didn't, but that wasn't always your fault. Um, if you sang good, my Monday was awesome. Like, I, I enjoyed lunch on Sunday after church. I enjoyed Monday. I enjoyed that week because I thought, this is, I love my job. Like, I, I, people sang, it was awesome, our church is doing great. And then I'd come, and if y'all sang uh, not very good, or the band messed up, or things just didn't go right in the service, um, then Monday was bad. And so my identity got all screwed up. Let me just say this. Um, Tim seemed a little flustered this morning, right? That's a hard job, okay? It's a hard job. But the beauty of it is, we can come to church and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we could still look at the words and the words can still sink in. And it doesn't really matter how things flow. Because the point of coming to church is not to perform for you. It's not even to perform for God. It's that you connect with the God of the universe. And so whatever happens up here... Your heart can still connect with the God of the universe, but that's not the way my Sunday mornings were going two and a half years ago. My identity got all messed up. And so instead of really believing in my heart that what God said I was, forgiven, redeemed, it wasn't about performance, um, and that he loved me no matter what, my identity became in what, all, in what I thought you thought of the job that I was doing. You see how just distraught that can make a person? You see how um, destructive that can be? Well, that's what happened in my life. And in the past few years, my parents, my sisters, and especially my wife Heather, they have been the people in recent years who have really helped me shift. In the way I saw how God thought about me, in the way I saw how I needed to come to work every day, in the way I saw how I needed to lead worship, in the way I saw how I needed to um, associate with all of you, they've really helped me shift into understanding that with God, performance has nothing to do with it. That the end result of a life lived in the truth of what God has done for you becomes a life lived completely and wholly in the grace and truth. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights for Wednesday Waypoint, but that our life is lived fully in the grace and the truth of who God says we are through Jesus Christ. And so as you do your self-check this morning, you may be here this morning and you have been living your life and your identity is all messed up in Christ. 
because you've been living it based on what other people have said you should look like, have said you should do, have dictated how you should think. But that's not the way it is. Because God defines a life lived in grace and truth as this. Jesus says, because he died for you, I do not condemn you. And that's grace. I don't condemn you. You deserve it, but I don't condemn you. And then he says, but go and leave your life of sin. Why? Because your, your sin is destructive. And I don't want you to be a slave to anything that is destructive in your life because that's not the, bo- the most abundant life that you can live. But when you mess up, God's grace covers it. Because he sees you with the blood of Jesus covering you. And I may sound like a broken record up here, but I think that everyone every day needs to preach the gospel to themselves. Because if we don't, we will lose sight of what our identity in Christ should be. And then we hit crisis. And when crisis hits, if our identity is not secured in our minds what God says we are, then we're not going to be able to handle that crisis in the right way. Living to obey rules or to look clean is only a gospel of works. So I lived a lot of my life based on the expectations of others for me. I need to live a certain way so that they look at me and continue to encourage me in that way because of the way I'm living my life and because I dress right when I go to church. I remember the day when my mom wouldn't let me wear jeans to church. I was like, now, you know, like, Holes, whatever. My wife, I've already said this, but my wife buys holes in my jeans for me. Like, that should cost less because it's less fabric, right? But it doesn't cost more because it's a style. Um, and so, all those things don't really matter. But I lived my life so long, so long thinking I'm a great Christian, but in reality I was living my life based on a gospel of works. I have to do, I have to look right, I have to say the right things, I have to be this way so that I will be right with God. Because I equated God's expectations of me with your expectations of me, and that will always, always, always only lead to crisis. See, this is the part of the gospel that Kyle was talking about a few weeks ago that is offensive to people because so many of world religions say you have to live a certain way, you have to be a certain way, and you have to do certain things to please your God, and then when you're clean enough, when you, when you do the right amount of things and you do the right things, then your God will save you. Then you can get into heaven. But that is always only a gospel of works and it will never, ever, 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 ever make you right before God. This is why Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still what? Sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen. Creekside Church is never, ever, from this point on, going to be a church that is about being religious for the sake of religion. We're not about looking good. We're not about being polished on the outside. Rather, we're about getting dirty in the trenches of people's lives. And if we come out beat up and bruised and muddy, we know that that's where God hangs out. 
is with people who are bruised and beaten because why? He came to seek and save the lost, the muddy, the beaten, the broken people. The gospel says be saved first, acknowledge our sin to Jesus, and then let him through his Holy Spirit transform our life on a daily basis to be a life that ultimately brings God glory by how we live. We ultimately do want our lives to look a certain way because we want to bring God glory with our lives, right? But your motivation for your life looking that way and the reasons behind why your life looks a certain way need to be very much in line with what the gospel says you are, with what, who Jesus says you are. Because your motivation for living the way you live says everything. The gospel does not sound like this. Do good, look good, love all the people around you, polish up your life, and then when you're good enough, God will reach in and save you. Nope. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're going to write anything down from that little section, write this down. We are free from the need to do good, to the desire to do good. We don't do good anymore because we have to to look good for God. Because in the reality of the gospel, there's no amount of good that you could possibly do. That's why it's so offensive to the world. Because everyone thinks, I have to do a certain number of good things. And then when they've done a certain number of good things, they think, I'm going to be going to heaven because I'm a good person. And then you tell them, no, you're not. Because it doesn't have anything to do with what you're good. And then they say, well, why do I do good things then? And you say, because after you get saved and realize that Jesus died for you even while you were still a sinner, you're so thankful that your life becomes a life lived in the good things that he has prepared beforehand for you to do, and you want to give God glory. But none of the good things you've done before you come to Jesus are going to get you into heaven. And that's offensive to people because they want the good things they have done to get them into heaven. They want to work hard for something in their life. That's what our society says. Work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, and you'll arrive. The gospel says you can't do anything because Jesus arrived and now all you got to do is believe. And then your motivation for doing good is totally different. Because I want to give God glory. Any kind of standards that we put on ourselves for perfection or morality will do nothing to make us clean or even unclean. It has nothing to do with you. The gospel and your standing before Jesus has nothing to do with you. And you know what? That is so freeing. I've heard this over and over and over again. We preach it here over and over and over again. You know why? Because you need to hear it. I need to hear it. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with the fact that God loved you no matter what. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you while you were still in your sins. So what does your self-check reveal in your life this morning? Last week, Tim taught on the beginning of chapter 7, it was all about tradition and man-made rules versus your heart and what the Bible says and where God wants you to go, tradition versus heart. And this week, I want to carry that over to what is your motivation for why you do the things that you do. What is pushing you in your Christian life? Why do you want to live a life 
the way God says it. Turn over into your Bibles to Isaiah 29. This part of Isaiah was quoted last week in Tim's portion. Portion. Who says portion? That's like, where does that come from? You ever hear somebody say portion and you don't know what that means? It makes you hungry, right? Every time I say portion, it makes me hungry. Portion. Sorry, it was funny in my head. You guys didn't laugh. Um, <laughs> all right, let's turn over to Isaiah 29, chapter, verse 13. Listen to this. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will ever know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? You see, sometimes all of the moral, good, righteous, holy things that we could do in our lives done with the wrong heart can offend God. So know this, that not all of the good things that you do in your life bring God glory. Because if you do the good things in this life with the wrong heart or believing the wrong gospel, it doesn't bring God glory. It offends God. Because so often, people who are religious, who think, I need to perform these amount of good things in these parameters, religion, causes us to do those things and then the, all those things, we hide behind those things just so that we don't have to go to a deeper place with God because we've tricked our own minds and our subconscious to think, man, look at my life. Look at my life. It looks so polished. I've fit it into this perfect box I've set boundaries for myself, I've done all these right things, and my life fits into the box that I've created for myself. And when we are convinced of that, we no longer feel the need within ourselves to go before God and say, God, I still mess up, I need your help, I'm worn, my heart is wearing thin, I'm tired, I want to see redemption win in my life because my sin still has a grip on me sometimes. Because I know that my hope is ultimately with you in heaven, but sometimes on earth I still mess up. I still make bad choices. I still do things that I hate, but I do the things I don't want to do. And I don't do the things that, I, and I do the things that I don't want to do. I mean, how does that happen when I've come to believe in Jesus? Isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to make my life perfect? No. I mean, the Bible says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation in my life and me actually living the, the way that God wants me to live 
comes from the renewing of my mind on a daily basis. So if we think that my life is going to look a certain way after I come to Jesus, and when it doesn't look that way, when I don't fit into the frame that I've created for myself, I get discouraged, I get lost. And what we do is, like in these verses in Isaiah, we become the potter, right? And God becomes the clay. Because even if it's subconscious and we're living our lives up to the expectations that other people have of us, we're living our lives based on what we think other people, even other people in the church, think of us. And we're mad at God because my life doesn't look like the way I think it should look. What are we saying to God? We're saying, God, you messed up with my box. Like, my box is not supposed to be square. It's supposed to be oval. Like, so, here I go. I'm going to fix this here. I'm going to move this here. I'm gonna, there you go. Hey, God, do you think you could fit into that box? Can you please just fit into that box? And the potter becomes like the clay. And we say to the potter, you got it wrong. You don't know anything about the way my life should be. And then we start to live our own life. And then when crisis hits, we have no idea how to handle it because our identity gets all screwed up. And so when we read, this is, when we read a portion from Mark, there you go again, apart from Mark chapter 7 that talks about not putting, that things that go into your body don't make you unclean, it's the things that come out from your lips, things that come out from your heart to make you clean. When we read that, I, seriously, the first, everyone who likes alcohol in the room gets excited, right? Because uh, now everybody's like, yeah, now nobody can tell me I can't drink because that doesn't make me unclean. That's not wrong. It's not, you know. But here's the deal. I like to drink once in a while in a healthy way, in a wise way, in a way that um, isn't going to make people around me stumble. Because the Bible does not prohibit us from drinking alcohol. Don't worry, I'm not just talking about this. But it gets to a deeper issue that is our heart. It says this, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It also says, don't be mastered by anything. What happens when I drink, and I drink too much and I get drunk, is that I am no longer allowing the Holy Spirit to control my life. I'm letting something else that I have let master me control my life. There's so much more than just alcohol that can master us. There's addictions to pornography. There's addictions to drugs. There's addictions to being liked. There's addictions to... Living up to people's expectations. There's addictions to the spotlight. There's addictions to so many different things that can master us. And if we let them master us, then we're going to fall. We can be mastered by what we're supposed to wear to church. We can be mastered by what the church looks like. We can be mastered by the structure of a church service. We can be mastered by Christian bumper stickers. I ain't ever going to get no Christian bumper sticker because then that would dictate the way I have to drive. And um, 
uh, that's just, and then when road rage happens and people look at my Christian bumper stickers, they'd be like, that ain't no Christian. And so I just won't get one. Um, yeah, that's a good idea, right? Now you're all going to go out and take your bumper stickers off your cars and we're going to know who has bad driving habits. Anyway, or we can be mastered by telling people who they should have into their homes and who they shouldn't have into their homes and who they should spend time with and who they shouldn't spend time with. You know, like the people sitting around the table that Jesus went to Matthew, the tax collector's home, and all the Pharisees, all the religious people, all the people that were saying, you can't eat unclean foods. You can't have those people over your house. You can't spend time with those kinds of people. You can be mastered by these things. Now, I'm not saying that we're flippant about these things. I'm saying that we be wise about all of these things. But too often, we major on minor things. We take things like one word or sentence in the Bible, and then we run with it as fast as we could because it fits the shape of the box that we've created. Right? A couple weeks ago, on Wednesday night, when Micah Tuttle was here, he said this. He said, failure does not scare me. Failure doesn't scare me. Success at things that don't matter scare me to death. You know what Satan loves? He loves it when we major on the minors. Satan loves it when we all go and succeed at things that don't matter for the glory of God, at things that don't matter for the growth of his church. Satan is having a party when we major on the minors. So if you look a little closer at Mark chapter 7, he starts off by saying, hear me all of you and understand. It's like what Tim spoke on last week about tradition versus the heart. Don't make the traditions of men commandments of God. Don't forsake the commandments of God just so that your man-made boxes can hold your life. Based on that, he's saying, listen, I'm going to say this one more time to you. You're not getting it. You're not understanding. It's like when I go up to my kids and I grab their head and I turn it towards me and I go like this. Look into my eyes. Fall asleep. No, I'm just kidding. I look into my eyes. Understand what I am saying to you. Because if you don't, there will be consequences. Right? And sometimes they laugh at me to try to get me to laugh. And I say, it's not funny. But they have to look into my eyes. I have to know that they are looking at me because it's something that I want them to understand. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, listen, I've said this over and over again, and you're just not getting it. So look at me and understand what I'm about to say. I'm going to say it in a little different way. And it goes on. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, what comes out of a man is what makes him under, un- unclean. Verse 17, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Remember a few weeks ago, just keep seating. Again here, 
the disciples ask him what he means about the parable. Because why? Because they are seeking truth. Because they are seeking truth. Because they want to know beyond what Jesus' words sound like on the surface to what Jesus' words want to do to our hearts. The disciples were there. We want to learn. We want to know. Jesus, what does this mean? And then Jesus says, in the NIV, he says, are you so dull? Or then in the ESV, he says, then are you without understanding? In Acts chapter 10, Peter is up on his roof, and a a centurion man named Cornelius um, had been told by God, go send for Peter. He's going to come, and he's going to share the truth with you about Jesus. And so Peter's up on his roof, and to prepare Peter for this experience, God gives him a vision. And the vision is all these animals uh, coming down, and he says, kill Peter and eat. And Peter's like, whoa, wait a minute, God. I can't do that. I have never let anything unclean go into my mouth. Because in the Jewish uh, ceremonies, certain foods could make you unclean. And Peter says, no, I'm not doing that, God. I'm not going un- to make myself unclean because I've never eaten anything unclean. And what is, it's really Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? He says, do not call anything unclean that I have made clean, right? It took years. Acts chapter 10 happens a while after Mark chapter 7. It took years for the disciples to understand what Jesus was talking about here. But here's the point. Even though it took years for them to understand, Jesus never said, you just don't understand. You can't hang out with me anymore. You're not fit to be my disciples. I got to go find smarter people. I got to go find people who are more clever that are going to listen to me and get and understand what I say. This is the second time that Jesus has said this to them, and they still don't get it. And so, yeah, Jesus is like, listen, are you that dull, like that you don't understand? And sometimes he's going to say that to us. Sometimes he's going to want us so bad to understand something that he's going to continue to put us in situations in our lives that are going to teach us those things. But no matter how long it takes us to understand something or to learn something, he's never going to kick you out. He's never going to leave your side. He's never going to tell you you're not fit to be his disciple because it's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with the fact that he loves you no matter what. And he wants you to grow. And he understands that that growth is a process. He understands the process. And eventually, as we grow in wisdom, as we spend time being renewed by God's word, we grow in wisdom, we grow in understanding, and we eventually get these things. Because so often, another thing that people add to the mix is I got to know more. Before I come to Jesus. I got to know more before I go tell other people about Jesus. I'm not fit to do what God wants me to do. Hey, it doesn't matter how much you know. Because if you know a lot and then do nothing with it, you're in the same boat. Okay? It matters that Jesus died for you and he wants to use you in the state that you are in. So we need to go back into our lives and we need to do a self-check. Where am I holding myself to standards 
that will never, ever make me right before God? And where am I holding other people to standards on things that just don't matter? Do I care more about the way they dress? Do I care more about the way that they uh, the way that they look when they come to church? Do I care more about the way they worship? Do I care more about their preferences? Do I care more about this? Do I care more about that? Or do I care about a person's heart? Do I care about a person's soul? Verse 19 says, Thus he declared all foods clean. For a Jew at that time, that would have been like confusing and possibly offensive. Like what? We have spent so many years, and there's certain stuff that when we eat it, it makes us ceremonially unclean. And Jesus, with one word, with one sentence, just declared that all food is clean. How can that be? That's not fair. They would have been offended. But then we go down to verse 21. From, this is still Jesus talking, for from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all of these things that come out from inside make a man unclean. Like Tim said last week and like we've been saying for weeks, Jesus is always after your heart. So in your self-check, when you go back and you try to find the self-check, doesn't just happen right here, right now, this morning. I hope that it happens all week. That you take time to go back and look for the dotted red line in your life and say, where am I spending time on things that just don't matter for God's glory? Where am I holding myself accountable? Where am I holding other people accountable to things that just don't matter for God's glory? The goal is always about the heart. The goal is always about people's souls and the glory of God. Is there anything, is there anything in your life that you're just wasting time on that just doesn't matter? I mean, I know that for me, for a long time, up to two and a half years, and I'm still learning this because I still fall into the trap so often. Tim, you guys, you and the bank, you come back up. But I know for me that when I look at my life, for so long, I lived my life filling myself with the thought that the food I ate made me unclean, right? Meaning that the the way I lived my life, being perfect or imperfect, and, and, and living my Christianity in a certain way could make me unclean. Here's the deal. We've got to reverse our thinking on what God thinks of us. God wants us to get our priorities straight. And when we get our priorities straight, then it leads to a life lived to bring God glory and to save souls for his glory. We've got to go from living good lives that look polished for the sake of being good Christians or looking polished. Because when we live that way, that mentality is only going to bring us to identity crisis. Do you get what I'm saying? Because if we live that way thinking it's going to make us right before God or thinking it's going to make us look good in front of all our fellow churchgoers, 
it will bring us to identity crisis. We've got to flip from that to living a life that maybe looks the same, but our motivation for living that life is completely different. I'm no longer living that life because I think it's going to make me right or I think God's going to bless me more for it, or I think I'm going to make more money for it, or I think that my life's going to be better from a worldly standpoint if I live this way. But understand that in order to get our priorities straight, we always have to come back to what Jesus left us to remember him by. He said when he gathered with his disciples... At the table at the Last Supper, he said, here's the bread which represents my body, broken for you. And here's the blood of the new covenant, a covenant of grace that has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with the fact that I did it for you. What did Jesus say when he, when he was nailed to the cross? He said, it is, do I say that louder? It is finished. It's finished it's finished. So your salvation and the way that you look at all the people around you has nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with your performance. It's got everything to do with the fact that Jesus had something to accomplish. And when he accomplished it in your life, you were free from the need to do good to the desire to do good. God, thank you for your word, thank you that our salvation has nothing to do with us. I, I pray that when we are looking at other people, people that don't claim to be Jesus followers, when we're outside the walls of these church, when we're associating with people in our homes, when we're looking at each other, that we would look at each other through the lens of the cross and understand that there's no amount of good that we could do to be in favor with you. But God, you saved us while we were still sinners, and so now we want to live our lives in a way that brings you glory, and you've laid it out in your word. This is the most abundant way to live, because sin is destructive, and the glory of God is what we want to live for, because Jesus laid down his own life for us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we sing these next few songs, there's two tables here, one table in the back. Just take time to do a little self-check and then come up and take the bread and the juice and understand our priorities start here. Our priorities start here. Father, we thank you that on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And we can say, majesty, your grace has found me just as I am. That Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. God, I pray for any heart in here that is held by the bondage of sin. God, that they would just come to you and know that they don't have to be perfect before they come to you and, and realize that Salvation is through Jesus alone, not, not through works, not through anything we could do, not through enough good things. And though that may be offensive to a world that thrives on doing good things and being good to others, that Jesus' sacrifice is the only thing that can make us right with you 
and it's the only thing that can give us real peace and joy on earth. God, that you desire us to live a certain life because you want us to live an abundant life and give God glory and for people to see how much we love you and love each other. But I thank you that it had nothing to do with me for my salvation because I cannot save myself. God, help us to do a self-check and see the things that we are focusing on in this life, the things that we are succeeding in that just doesn't matter for your glory. God, that we would give it up and get our priorities straight. And um, God, care about your glory in people's souls, that your church would grow. Thank you for choosing to use Creekside. We love you, God. We want to go outside these walls, a church without walls, to bring the gospel to the streets. Father, we love you. I pray that we would know our identity in you. And if we're confused about that, to be honest with it with your church, to be honest with it with you. We love you, God, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, VBS is tonight, 630. If you haven't registered your kids yet, you can do that out there. And we'll see you next week.